Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Brew Roots, where we tell the stories behind your favorite beer. Joining me, as always, are my amazing two co-hosts, Erica and Soundguy Ryan. Oh, yeah. Better believe it. Do you like the adjective I used? You didn't just say Matt and Erica. I, you know, I hyped you guys up. You did. I've been excited. I, I, have, to get, I have to get better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been excited about this episode. I love return to episodes um, because I think a lot of the times we get into the same pattern of it, new, cookie new, cutter, new. right? Yeah, like yeah. a new episode. We talked to this people. They've opened a brewery. They were a home brewer. They were an engineer who hated their job. Yeah, jobs. so they became yeah. brewers. <laughs> um, and we mentioned this brewery quite a bit to the point where our listeners think we're sponsored by this brewery. And Chris, can you debunk that? You know, what's your Venmo again? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not Michael Thanks. Jackson. Actually, that's my personal <laughs> one. If anyone wants this stuff. Um, yeah, no, it's it's we have a appreciation for the beer that's being brewed here, which, to my knowledge, is not easy beer to brew, right? Or everyone would be brewing the same quality of beer that you're brewing. It's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, both process and equipment. Yeah, I would even say the service you guys give, but we're going to get into that as well because uh, one of our favorite, I think, universally, we talk about Notch. If you didn't brew between the lines, yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> yes, everyone, we're at. That's that's where we're at. But we're, we're not at the Salem location. No. Um, I've been to this location now twice. I came on yeah, an industry night. Thank you for inviting us. We appreciate that. And uh, I came with my girlfriend who doesn't drink beer, but loves yeah. your Rattler. So it's a win-win for me. Um, coming to this Alston location. Brighton. Brighton. I'm so sorry. Brighton. I mean, Alston, yeah. Brighton. There's yeah. somewhere in the line. Yeah, She I knew know. I was going to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Coming to this location, uh, it's new for me because going to Salem, I didn't actually go to Salem all through October because of spooky months. So it's awesome to come here. So thank you for setting up another location <laughs> so I don't have to go to Salem in well, October. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that's I why you did it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the alternative for, for October. Yeah. But Erica wasn't here for the first podcast. So we had to. Exactly. To yeah. yeah. We had to do it again. Uh, so what has everyone been drinking? I. I finally finished all my fest beers, which kind of sucks. Congrats, I have but to also that's really year. sad. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a win-win situation. Now it's... Win-lose? Win-win? I don't know. It's a win-lose. Yeah, okay. it's a lose situation <laughs> for me. But uh, Ryan, you were at Notch this weekend, right? I was. Yeah. I had uh, the Doc Lager. That was very tasty. <laughs> Doc Lager. The Doc Lager kit. <laughs> um, I don't remember. I had a, I had a few. Oh. Let's just put it that way. I had a few. Yeah. That's good. Good times. Times. Erica, you drinking anything special? Matt, where was I? You were a bunch of places. Was you were a bunch I of places. I don't remember right? anything yeah. anymore. I was drinking Mezcal, uh, and the only reason Ooh. I've been drinking Mezcal is my parents went to Austin. Okay. And they brought me back a bottle that nice. they smuggled in, and nice. it made me feel like really bad about how like difficult it was to bring to the airport. And then I talked about how it was difficult, and they're like, "Oh, we just put it in our check bag." And I said, oh, "Then it wasn't really difficult." So no. But I felt guilty to drink it. So oh. I drank it all, and yeah. That was a great story. I was still hungover. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yes. Yeah. That's Magical. why I asked Chris for a smoked beer. I was like, I just need more smoke in my life, you know? Yeah, but that's my story. So that's a great story. Yeah. Chris, I can't you, stop it. Did you drink anything good? Uh, I actually had cocktails on Saturday night for Ooh, the first time in a while. Nice. Yeah, shout nice. out to Short and Main and Gloucester, which yeah. uh, I frequent quite a bit. I love yeah. their cocktail program. And they have a great beer selection, too. Yeah, they do. All local. Yeah. They have Notch on top? They do. Oh, that's good. That's, that's I all didn't get one. Yeah, that would be... <laughs> do they ever ask you, like, oh, do you want your own beer? It's kind of like understood. I walk in there and... 
probably going to have a cocktail and not a beer. Yeah. 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 You don't get Good. like the hazy boys. You don't get like the double IPAs or pastry stouts. Hey, hey, don't set me yeah. up. <laughs> okay, let's, let's start at that level. Let's let's ease into that. <laughs> All right. So we, t- you, uh, people who have listened to our previous episodes, we encourage, go back, listen to the Notch episode because we're not going to ask the same questions. Um, but we do typically ask our guests their first memory of beer. So if you want to hear that story, go back and ask that. But I wanted to ask you, when did you first fall in love with beer? And I know when you got in the industry, it wasn't called craft beer. It was like micro It was micro yeah. yeah. So when did you fall in love with beer and, and make it a profession? Uh, definitely college. So I was an entrepreneurship major at Northeastern. And Rumor has it you were a basketball player too, right? I was a basketball player. Ooh, yeah. baller. Let's not go there. <laughs> uh so I was an entrepreneurship major, and my uh, I had a class where, uh, through the Small Business Administration of Massachusetts, we got to act as a consultant to an existing business. And I got paired with a brewer who was trying to start something in Boston. From He was from Florida. And at the time, I was drinking, like, Rolling Rock and whatever was cheap. And that got me exposed to beer. And uh, he had worked at Catamount, um, RIP, which is in Vermont, and, and a, you know, one of the first east of the Mississippi to be a production brewer. And they, Catamount made solid beers. Yeah. yeah the Catamount Porter, my dad still talks about. Great dark beer. They made hoppy, hop forward beers uh, in a way that I'd never tasted. And, um, you know, that kind of opened my mind to, wow, these are beers of flavor. I really love to, love to drink. Yeah. Um, and that was it. You know, Catamount, and I started drinking Gary's. And then, you know, like anyone who gets into good beer, it's like, all right, just to open the floodgates for me. Yeah. Kind of like collecting vinyl. <laughs> like to me, it's like you can't stop. I don't know. So, you started Notch in, in 2010, right? That's right. Yeah. And before that, you were at Tremont. Yes, yeah, so I was a co-founder of Tremont in Boston. It was the Charlestown neighborhood. And at the time, there were three breweries in Boston. It was us, Sam Adams, in the R&D plant, and then uh, Harpoon. Yeah. And um, we were the third largest brewery in the state. Actually, second largest brewery in the state behind Harpoon. So English style, though. So. English style, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I would of, never even like it. <laughs> so it, it was not uh, unlike what we do at Notch in that we take um, a category or a region and we go all in on uh, tradition and make sure we do it right. And we did British beer the same way, open fermentation, cask conditioned. I mean, things that at the time people, they didn't even know what good beer was, never mind, you know, explaining what the difference was between a a British beer engine from the north and the south and what cask conditioning was. It was just, we were just stupid. We were ahead of it. We were ahead of it. (laughs) Um, But we we found our path and we, um, you know, did really well. My partner, Alex Rodliotti, who just lives down the street here from Notch, and he's here all the time. Great guy, but it was his family that, that got us into it. His his uh, uncle was uh, an employee at the Heffenreffer plant in JP, so he had a lineage in, in the Boston beer scene already. Um, and so, uh, you know, I kind of jumped on board, I jumped on his back, and, and we did that for from 93 to 2005. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So then we got out of the industry, and then I kind of got back to um, my engineering gig for a few years and then you just basically formalized Notch in my head yep. launch in 2010. Is it fair to call Notch a Czech style brewery? Uh, it is. I would, it's not the, it's probably the majority of our production, but you know, we do more than that, but that's fairly kind of what we're known for. So service wise, right? You have the side pour, the handles, the tap handles, yep. uh, and service. Like when you do a Kolsch night, you try to emulate a a Czech bar environment or a cafe environment. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, so um, we'll go all in on a service model because for me, it's, it's important to brew the beer a certain way that we have the ingredients in the process um, to make a beer that we want to make. And we're not trying to be, um, we're not just trying to like 
I'm not trying to be, be a cover a band, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, we're just, <laughs> but we want it. We want we want to pay heritage to that those uh, ingredients and process because it will yield a beer that has a specific taste. It's not gonna it's not gonna be meat, you know, the, like exactly like you know, uh, uh, say a pilsner or a something like that. But it'll be in the ballpark. But then you take that to service in terms of how the beer's poured, the glassware it's presented in, and then the way it's presented to the, to the customer, and all of that is part of the experience. And so we try to go out, we try to go really deep in that because it's fun. And for me, it's fun to go to um, Europe and go to you know Kolsch's Cologne, or you know Pilsner is is Prague or Pilsen, and experience not only these great beers that are brewed wonderfully, but how they're served and how different they are from the, from the U.S. Um, and we just try to you know bring a bit of that to the United States in a way that is fun. You know, it's not heavy-handed. Like Kolsch night is one of the funnest nights we yeah. do. It is. Sit, you, We've done that. Yeah. I mean, you sit down and you don't even order. Beer comes to you and it keeps coming. And <laughs> it's just the same. You're going to continue to drink. It's, yeah. it's just we're doing it again um, in early December. We'll, we're going to announce that probably later this week. Um, yeah. So we just we try to reflect on um, the influences of these beers and where they come from in service uh, all the way back into brewing. Yeah. So that kind of leads into another question. You're talking about um, you know the differences between the cultures in Czech and here in America. <laughs> beer culture, I guess, no, right? No, no, let's, let's, yeah. let's Chris, just tell us which one's better. Do you like American beer culture or Czech I mean, beer culture? One's not better than the other. They're yeah. just much different, right? I mean, it, we're really good here about experimentation and pushing envelopes and boundaries and going in directions that a lot of um, brewing nations won't go because they've kind of found, found their groove and they really like it. And it's been power to their culture. We're United States is so young, and we're, we're a bunch of mutts, and we just kind of take everything and just throw it against the wall and see what, what's really fun. Um, where you know you go to the Czech Republic or Germany or London or you know UK or wherever, and, and they have these. Uh, I think Jeff Allworth, who's a, a, a writer, he, I, I, I believe he just talked about the national heritage or the national tradition, and that really kind of stuck with me. Like these are things that are ingrained in people, and this is like part of their the pub culture of London, the pub culture, yeah. uh, the beer hall culture of Germany and Munich and uh, of Prague. And these things go back in generations, and they've refined it in a way. It's it's just perfect. You can't improve on it. Yeah. Yeah. You went to the Czech Republic right before the shutdown here. And you went with, with yeah. You went free, right? Yeah. Brianna and I went to Czech Republic in February of yeah. 2020 before the shit at the fan. It probably was hitting the fan in the Czech Republic. <laughs> we just didn't know it. Um, I, <laughs> I find it interesting. Uh, on another podcast I, I listened to a couple of weeks ago, all the all the breweries and, and pubs have their own brewery almost within them and they're all brewing the same style but you could go to a different brewery and they all taste different um all the, like if someone brews pilsner it's going to taste different at each different one but it might yeah. be a smash recipe why why is it different uh so i it's wonderful because i found that uh like pilsner or pale lager as they call it there uh is more of a category and it's pretty wide ranging and so when someone tells me uh, that doesn't taste like a czech pilsner or a czech pale lager i'm like well which one are you referring to because it can be dry and bitter or it can be malty and sweet and it's a range within that style and so it's not monolithic that's one thing i think there's been a lot of um, mystery about Czech Pilsner in the United States because no one's really explored it too much. You know, American brewers have been kind of enamored with you know uh, Belgium and yeah. you know to some extent England and the Czech Republic was like a bridge too far for a lot of people. I don't know why, but um, yeah. So they're more cat. It's more of a category, and, and each one's quite different. It could be process, it could be ingredient, it could be fermentation regime, it could be a number of things. But it's it's really wide ranging. Um, where I think Czech Republic's unique there where you go to 
Germany and Hellas, they don't have, it's not such wide. It's got a little bit narrower, those flavors. And then same thing with London or, I mean, some UK. Bitter is pretty narrow. Like they're all within a category. It's not wide range. Wide range. We're, we're, of all things, I think Pilsner has the widest range of, of flavor influences. Yeah. Yeah. How do they make these categories? Like why is hell so narrow, right? And the Czech Pils is so wide. Is that just, I don't know, your thoughts I don't on know, it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good question. I think a lot of the, um, the Czech bar was a little bit smaller and they might be, you know, they're, the way they do things might be less influenced by what everyone else is doing. They mm. kind of get into their mindset and they go. Yeah. Um, they also, you know, the Czech brewers are, they're, they're a lot like British brewers. If they've done something something for a while, they continue to do it because that's the way. Because <laughs> that's just the it. way you do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Like um, Unatishki, which is a, a brewery outside of Prague, um, their beers are wonderful, but they're really dry. And Czech beer, on average, is really malty. It's a malt forward, mm. and they're kind of an outlier. Yeah. But they're exporting a lot of beer to the United States, especially in this region. Um, especially during COVID and everyone's thinking, oh, this is what Czech beer tastes like. And now everyone's going to think it's dry and, and it has like upfront bitterness where it's typically a little more malty. Like if you have Budvar or even Pilsner Kell, they're a lot different than Unatishki. And so, you know, again, more of a category than like this monolithic, this is the way this beer needs yeah. to be. Yeah. I go to, we go to a lot of breweries and more often than not, people have strike up conversations with us about the beer. Um, and I find it frustrating. Do you as a brewer find it frustrating that more people are focused about talking about the beer than the environment that they're in instead of saying, like, this is a great beer? This is a great experience. This is, in, this is a great experience. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that's in the craft beer industry right now? I mean, it's kind of the way of food culture in the United States in general. We've taken it to, you know, if you go to any restaurant, people start talking about the food and dissecting it or dissecting the beer or the wine or the spirits, or whatever. And it used to be that used to, that was just the experience to sit down and converse and have fun. And it, it, to go back to, you know, uh, Europe, you sit down, have a beer, and, and I've I seen this play out over and over. You taste the beer. It's like, wow, this is wonderful. This is great. And then the conversation happens. It doesn't include the beer. Yeah. The beer's in the background. It's wonderful. It's great. It's world class. But it's not the talking point. The talking point is like catching up with your friends or your family in, in the conversation. Sitting at a bench with a table, looking at each other, not staring at a television with a flight in front of you, rating it un, untapped. Yeah. I went there already, but I had to do it. That's no, okay. I, it's That's all right. It's going to touch on those points. <laughs> <laughs> Untap's definitely a, a bone of contention with a lot of brewers. It's fucking evil. Well, Chris, <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is the single worst thing. Said for it our plainly, beer Chris. If 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 I was to say buy Untapped and say, Chris, you know, I can't handle Untapped anymore. Can you make it better? What would you do to make it better? I just bomb it. I'd get rid of it. <laughs> That's the best answer you could have given. Just done sit and down and, and just analyze beer in a way that you need, feel this need to rate it and express it to all your friends. It's like you've just you've ruined what beer is. Beer's not about evaluating it. Do you want to talk about it? Cool. That's great. Hey, this is a really cool, you know, dark lager. It has some chocolate notes. And what do you got? That's cool. All right. Did you watch the game last night? How are your kids? Yeah. How's school, right? Like, th- these are things yeah. you're talking about. Not like how many bottle caps did you rate that? Yeah. Yeah, I've gone away from Untapped as well because, you know, what? it's just about enjoying the moment and the beer. And like, yes, this is a great beer. Like you said, that's it. And then just enjoy the moment. Yeah, we've all seen it, right? Yeah. Right. Well, one of the more frustrating things, I feel like I've had to defend your beer on one occasion where I got a pour and it was three finger pour of Here, foam. Oh God, yeah. And you know where I'm going and people say, well, that's an under pour or it's an over, you know, like you, you didn't get your money's worth. It's like, no, that you, what it's a, Cicerone like, alert. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Why? Um, yeah. 
are you doing it right or are you doing it wrong? And I was like, no, no, but like, I mean, what is, uh, why are people so enamored with like these well, best practices that are wrong? Well, we, we've all become experts, right? Yeah. The consumers become expert in that they think they know more than the brewer. Um, or they think they know more than anyone because they've had, they've checked in and untapped, you know, 2,000, 3,000 beers and, you know, they think they know what it is. Rather than having an open mind about things and, and wanting to experience, it's a little bit of, um, hey, I, I know, I already know what's going on. And every time we post on social media a lucre pour with one of our Czech beers, two things happen. One is like, you should never sub submerge a tap into a beer when you pour it. Well, most of the time, yes. However, this faucet's designed that way because it pours the beer in a specific way. And then the question of that's way too much foam, I'd send it back. Well, our mugs are designed for that foam and you get the half liter measure that you're paying for that's on our board or on our menu. And so I got it. It's new. And so anything new, um, you have to just bring the consumer with you and educate them. So we don't get angry about it at Notch, you know, at, at our tap rooms or even in social media. You know, initially, we just have to inform people this is the way it is because of X or Y. And now it's great because in social media, our fans start defending us before we need to, which yes, is wonderful. that's like, awesome. We've gotten to that point. <laughs> and then at the tap rooms, it's just a speaking point. Like, oh, this is the way it's done here and it's done this way because you're going to get this experience. And we continue to win people over because we just, we're open, we're, uh, we're honest, we don't get defensive, you know. Um, and, and so that's worked in our favor, but it's effort. Our, it's a lot of effort on the part of our staff to, yep. to be able to, to do that. It's easier to pour, you know, a bunch of flights and just, you know, throw them at a consumer and have them rated and untapped. But yeah. we're not that kind of brewery. Exactly. Well, we're going to get into other types of breweries that are around the area because I, I do think we are seeing a little bit of a copycat mentality in the brewing industry right now. Among craft brewers? I don't know. We're going to get into that. <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Not a, not a novel idea. But before we get into that highly controversial subject, take it away, Sound Guy Ryan. Did you know that your favorite Massachusetts breweries use hops from a local family-owned hop farm right here in Massachusetts? Our friends over at Four Star Farms are there for you whether you're a commercial brewery or a small batch home brewer. Make sure to head over to their website today and get your hands on some of the best and freshest hops available locally. Cheers! At our local homebrew shop, Beer and Wine Hobby, you can get everything you need to make beer, wine, cider, cheese, and more. Not sure where to start? They have knowledgeable staff there to help. Beer and Wine Hobby is family-owned and located in Danvers, Massachusetts. Visit their website, beer-wine.com, and use our promo code BREWROOTS for 10% off your online order today. Shirts on Tap is the box subscription service for craft beer lovers. Each month, Shirts on Tap partners up with seven different breweries from across the country and collaborates on a sweet custom shirt design. We've been teamed up with Shirts on Tap since the inception of the podcast and are proud to announce a new promo code for all of our listeners. To get your first shirt for $5 off, go to the link in our description below and use the promo code. And remember, drink better beer, wear better shirts. And we're back. Erica, That's what I was going to say. Erica, go say it. You can say cool. it. Okay. Listeners and we're back. That was how, about, how about you, you know? <laughs> I just thought it was kind of funny. No, that funny. I, I didn't find that funny. No? No. Not funny. All right, producer, right? Fine. And we're back.
Yeah, classic. that was much better, right? Classic, right? right? You were right. So right. Yeah, yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I kind of was curious, going back to all the taps and different pours, can you explain kind of your taps and the different pours you do and maybe why you do them? Uh, so we had, we've had the Lucre Fawcett, and I'll explain what that is, um, for six years now. And we were the second brewery in the United States to have it. Wayfinder in the West Coast, I think, beat us. But um, I just discovered this by being in the Czech Republic and watching the way they pour beer and this wonderful foam that's created, this wonderful experience of drinking through the foam to this well-carbonated beer. And that was all really wonderful. And so when we built Salem, I, back to my original point, I wanted to serve the beer as traditional as, as we were going to make it. Yeah. And so I contacted uh, Luker, which is the manufacturer in Pilsen in the Czech Republic, um, and we imported them. Uh, it was a lot of work. You know, I was wiring money to a person I didn't know, hoping the stuff would come. <laughs> and, um, and so... Uh, with that, this faucet, uh, it's a wonderful way to create dense, creamy, wet foam in a way you can't do with any other any other tap. Um, and so there's Hedlinka, which is the standard pour, which is um, basically three fingers of foam um, with the beer below it. The foam basically resides, excuse me, um, it, will, uh, it will dissipate a little bit and then come up to a two-finger foam, and you drink through the foam and into the beer, and it's just a really wonderful, creamy experience. Um, with that, there's a couple of the fun pours. One is called, and the one that most people are seeing now because... That's your point about everyone yeah. doing what everyone else is doing. Uh, it's Maliko, which is uh, the milk pour. And the milk pour is this fun check thing. Typically, it's something done at the end of the night as a last pour is like a dessert thing. I was going to say, that's what I've heard. It's like an afternoon coffee in a sense. You know, it's like your afternoon. You don't really want a full beer. Yeah. You want a little something more. I've heard your staff call it a milk tube. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> you hate that? You hate that? I love milk tube. No, no. Milk tube is a, combo- a combination of using Czech pour with a Kolsch glass called the Stanga. Okay. And now we're really just mixing it up. Again, we're mutts in the United yeah, States. Yeah. We take right. things, we just blend them, and, hi- and it yeah. becomes a hybrid. So let's we'll stay traditional for yes. a second. Yes. Um, so the milk pour is uh, something that we've been doing at Notch for six years, and to no one's notice and no one really cared. We just did it and had fun. And then a lot of breweries started getting uh, lucre taps because then they could buy them from the local local uh, district, um, excuse me, um, uh, draft installer, and it became very easy to get lucre taps, and they're very Instagrammable and all this bullshit. Yeah, they're sexy. <laughs> yeah, and they're sexy. They're great. And yeah. I un- understand why people want them, because um, there is this distinct advantage to having them for certain beers. And so all of a sudden, you know, milk pours in the last year become a thing, which mm-hmm. yeah, fun. It's great. I'm at least, I don't know, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but again, people are getting these taps because they just see it on Instagram and it looks cool and they don't really know what they're doing I have my staff goes out and visits breweries all the time on the weekends and they come back and they said yeah they have a lucre tap and they don't know what the fuck they're doing with it. <laughs> they haven't trained they don't know what it is and, and so it, it, so the converse to getting these taps it's a lot of effort to get, get it right and pour correctly and it takes a lot of beer and a lot of ways to, to train your staff properly so um yeah, but we're, we're proud of what we're doing with those pours, and they're fun. And again, educational point yeah. to come in and experience something you wouldn't wouldn't normally have. Um, and just so everyone knows, the Lucre um, pour is not the slow pour. Lucre is the opposite. You can pour eight half liters in a minute Ooh. with dense, creamy foam. Wow. The slow pour is a, is a whole other beast. But again, U.S. brewers are kind of confused the, the, the two. And yeah, I've seen U.S. brewers grab the Lucre tap. I'm like, hey, I can do slow pours now. I'm like... No, you can do as fast as you ever could. <laughs> it's actually the opposite. Yeah. All right. So, going to go back to copycat. 
I, every brewery we talk to there now. Hey, just just time out with the copycat. <laughs> I'm also the, the original copycat because I'm going to Europe for my copycatness, right? Like I am. Are I've, we all copycats at this yeah, point? Yeah, we all get influenced yeah. from something. So I don't right. want to sound like I'm a high on a horse. I've got just gotten influence not from my next door neighbor, but I took time to take trips and and find some historic traditional methods that I really love, and I'm doing them. So you did it right, I, though, right? You educated yourself. I'm gonna, I'll no, ref- I, I don't know if it's right. It's just in okay. a way that I felt good about it. Yeah. yeah. And I felt like I put some effort into it, so like there's a reward. I'm going to f- right. refine the question. Okay. I think within the American beer scene, there's a lot of copycat mentality within each other's neighbor. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are brewing lagers and pilsners at this point in mm-hmm. time. Um and I know that I, and I completely respect that there are breweries that cannot afford to do decocting, right? You know, that's a, that's a big investment that you pretty much have to plan from the ground floor Correct. to say like, this is the style that I want to brew. Um, and do you feel as though breweries are taking, cutting corners to brew those styles just to brew those styles because they see that Pilsner, lager, Kolsch are selling now. Selling now. <laughs> I mean, I, I I know that the Amer- the New England style IPA, you know, is still the number one seller. Right, but I, I, well, I think we'll a lot. See the I, tide is changing a little bit. I think a lot of this is driven by brewers who, at the end of the day, if you ask a brewer what they want to drink, it's not a double IPA. Right. No. Nope. It's going to be a, brew a Pilsner or a pale lager that's refreshing, and I think a lot of consumers don't really. They have a hard time understanding, like, well, but the best beer in the world is double, New England double IPA. <laughs> and the brewer's like, yeah, yeah, sure, but I'm going to go over here and drink this crisp lager. Right. Because this is what I really enjoy, and I know this is what I want to drink. So, I mean, so I think part of it's brewer-driven, that they want to drink these styles, and it's it's fatiguing to have only New England-style IPAs. And I've gone on record a million times, I love New England-style. I, I think it's... Um, been one of the most innovative uh, process things to come across in a long time. But Definitely. back to copycat, it's a process, and a lot of people look at that, look, I don't know how to do that New England process, so we're just going to throw flour in the kettle, and it's going to be hazy, and we're on our way. So, um, yeah, but back to lager, um, you know, it's difficult to brew it proper if you haven't set up your brewery to do so, because there's refrigeration requirements, there's, you know, if you want to do decoction, there's tank time, I yep. mean, utilization of tanks, uh, I mean... Our brewery, if it was all ale, could brew three times the amount that we brew, but we wow. choose to brew lager, so it yeah. sits in the tanks for a long, long yeah. time. You know? But you got to plan for that. A lot of breweries are using melanoid malts. I'm probably saying that wrong. Melanoid. Melanoid malts in place of decocting. I mean, if they can get to the point where that is a reasonable substitution, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not here to judge what someone else is doing. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, just... but um, I, so I've when when brewers have come here, and I said this Brianna when she started. So we just put our head down and do our thing. If people recognize it, great. But there's a certain way we want to do it because it's fun and we enjoy it and we, we get satisfaction in doing it. And it's a great technical challenge and it's a great challenge to do it consistently. And that, that's if people recognize it, wonderful. But um, I don't... People probably look at me and say, why are you wasting your time and energy and labor <laughs> and utility on decoction when... Have a beer, ten, you'll know why. 10%, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 10% yeah, of the, the population can probably understand the difference. Yeah. So uh, it, everyone has their own viewpoint and you just got to make sure you're comfortable with your own and go for it. Yeah. Is that diplomatic enough? I, 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 wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't looking at you to be like, you know, Twitter personality, like controversial. You know, I was looking just... I, I, I believe me, I like to call it bullshit more than yeah. anybody, but yeah. um, I also know that we all have different goals. So. Yeah, definitely. Do you think there is a lot of bullshit? I mean, like, what is an Italian-style Pilsner? I've talked to you at, at Notch. Or Australian lager, right? Like, you have yeah, like, something like that on right now. 
like uh, Austrian, Austrian. Austrian. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 Austrian. Austrian. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Vienna. Yeah. But like, is an Italian pilsner just what? What is there? Just sexy terms to be cool and, and innovative? Or? Yeah. Like Mexican lager. I mean, yeah. come on, come on, craft brewers. You're just saying Mexican <laughs> lager because you don't want to admit you like light lager, so you throw Mexican on it. Right. So it's cool. Mexican lager <laughs> is a light lager that is brewed in Mexico. The only thing that makes it Mexican is brewed there. Right, you take that north of the border; it's a North American light lager. There's not a lot of difference. Yeah. Um, someone argue has more German, German influence, but I don't. U.S. brewers had German influence too. So, yeah. So the, the style names are more marketing driven, and I get it because it sells. Yeah. And Italian pilsner sounds really sexy, right? Yeah. It's a dry hop German lager. At the end of the day, it's a dry hop German lager with American fermentation technique, but. It has nothing to do with Italy. I mean, you can do that anywhere. But it originated there, so I understand that's like you know that's the whole thing. But so people like I've heard will use a specific grain from those regions to make it an Italian or a Mexican or whatever. I mean, it's, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know if that makes a huge difference or not, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a certain grain being used, you know, in, in the Italian pilsner, but you know, it's German dry hop and the fermentation yeah. methods are warmer. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that means quick turn right. turn, turn around on your, on your tanks. But I don't know. I, I, I again, uh, we brewed a French pills, right? Yep. And when I heard there was a French pills, I'm like, oh, here we go again. It's just a fancy <laughs> name. And we did the research on it and it has, you know, French pills malt is a Fr- French hop, Strissel spalt. And they did the decoction cereal mash that was pretty cool. And so we did it and it was really wonderful and different, you know. Yeah. Okay. People could look at me and be like, well, that could be just a German beer with some U.S. influence and a French hop. Valid, you know. Valid. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So we're in the all, we're in the Brighton. Brighton. <laughs> you almost, I almost did, did it. Again. We're in the Bri- you know, like it's also in Brighton. It comes from uh, AB. Sure, yeah. I don't know. Okay, the yeah, Brighton yeah. Tap Space. <laughs> you have two locations, and you're brewing the same beer at, at two locations. Correct. Um, water profile different? Or are you getting the water from the same? It's source? both soft water. So Salem is Ipswich River, yeah. um, and then Boston is. Um, Quabbin Reservoir, and they're both really soft surface water. A little bit of calcium chloride, uh, which is really good for the beers that we brew. So water quality is the same. Um, Brighton is a little bit different in that we're doing mostly lager. And of that, actually, we're doing all lager here, and 90% is Czech lager only. So you asked me the question, you know, is a Czech lager brewery? Like, Brighton's definitely Czech lager. We set, we set it up here to... Like we do in Bright, excuse me, in, in, in Salem, uh, multiple decoction, open fermentation, horizontal lagering tanks, and all that. We do serve directly from the lagering tanks here. Okay. Um, which people think is oh, that's really cool. It's like oh. does it make it easier? It makes it less labor intensive. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't make the beer better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one less touch. Um, so, so, um, but we did that here because we had limited space. Can I launch into Brighton? Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do Here it. We we'll get a bit more controversial. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are in the Charles River Speedway, which is on the National Historic Register um, for its um, historic rel- uh, relevance. It uh, was built in the late 1800s as um, a racetrack, horse racetrack, uh, on the Charles River. Oh. Yeah, so before, okay. before Soldier Field Road was built, if anyone knows the neighborhood, the, the Northeastern Boathouse is right across the street from us mm-hmm. on the Charles. Um, and so where we're sitting is old horse stables. So the entire brewery and tap room it looks horse like stables. stables. Yep. And then the beer garden itself is where the horses came in the courtyard before they went out for the, out for the race. Um, and it was trotters, like there was a buggy behind the horse. It was, it was a mile long down around the river. Uh, and so af- that went away in like 1920-ish when Soldier Field Road was built, but the building remained. It became part of the state uh, uh, property uh, parks department. 
And then that lasted up until about maybe 20 years ago, and this building sat in disrepair. And so the city, excuse me, the state owns it, and they um, contracted a nonprofit developer to renovate it and then caretake it and then run it. And so they asked us to be the, the anchor tenant. So we take up 24% of the facility, and the rest, which is just opening now, are food stalls and retail shops that abut the, the beer garden. And just to give perspective, the beer garden is every day 288 people can expand with, uh, there's a stage, and the beer garden can expand to 500 people. That's awesome. And the tap room has 180 person capacity. But that's not it. Behind us, you haven't seen yet, is a, a, a event, event space oh. uh, called Garage B, uh, which is... 288 person capacity as well live music markets that kind of thing so it's a pretty activated space it's a lot of fun a lot of things going on um, and there's a uh, cocktail bar that's going to be going in behind us as well um, in the old cow barn which is down that's there, awesome so. it's a really cool property <laughs> it's, it's really great a lot of nooks and crannies it feels very European when I walked in here it felt very Bavarian or, or, or Bohemian in its, its structure and the way it looks and you can stand out in the middle of the beer garden and never know you're in, in, in Brighton or Alston yeah now I'm I starting to say it. Alston because I'm sorry I'm an asshole <laughs> wow you're bad <laughs> When we first talked, you know, three, four years ago when we did the first interview, I mean, I don't know if this was even on your radar. When did this come into uh, fruition? I never thought we'd do a second location. Yeah. I thought Salem would always be our home base when we build there. Um, uh, we had a couple, couple of people come to us and say, you should really look at this property. So I'm not looking. And for some reason, I was in the area, and I said, all right, I'll stop by and take a look at it just for the hell of it. And I don't, still to this day do not why do not know why I, I showed up here and looked at it. And once I st- stood in the courtyard, I said, this is going to be a beautiful beer garden. We've got to do this. Right. Um, and so that was four years ago. Put the plan together, started um, construction two months before COVID hit, and then everything shut down, and we stopped construction for nine months. Whew. And if I'd had a for-profit developer, Notch wouldn't be here. We'd be out of business. Uh, because it was a nonprofit developer, they just said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to hit the pause button for as long as we can. They said, go ahead and do it. So Architectural Heritage Foundation, AHF, is my landlord, and uh, they're wonderful to work with. Um, and so on the backside of that nine months, we said, all right, we see a path to a vaccine and, and being somewhat normal summer. So we opened here in July. And that was earlier than you anticipated, correct? You were, you were gunning for December 2021, I thought. Like well, winter. originally it was October 2020. Okay, yeah. But, you know, that year was like lost on everyone. Yep. And so it was, yeah, so it was the next year. So, yeah, we, we did okay. We, we, we got open and, and uh, we're doing all right. Yeah. Um, how does the space kind of differ than Salem? Uh, I know that our li- a lot of our listeners go to the Salem location and we encourage them to come to this one. But There's going to be a lot of the same feel to it in terms of um, community tables, same wood. All, all the tables uh, and all the furniture actually is built with the wood from Salem that we did in a demo a couple of years ago. So you're going to see the same tables there. Uh, the bars has a lot of the same, same design elements, lucre taps, the whole deal. Um, but uh, it's different in scale. Like This seems a little more intimate. You know, Salem is 20-foot ceilings, and it's, it's brick yeah. and steel trusses where this is wood um, and a lot of wood because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, they were old uh, you know, horse stables. Um, so it, just, it, it has a little bit different vibe in that way. Yeah, maybe a little more intimate, a little more cozy. Yeah. I notice events, and you guys are having more pop-ups and food trucks at this. You have a ton of events here, I yeah. feel like. Yeah, it's a very activated space, and a lot of that is a lot of those aren't even our events because we're one of many tenants here, yeah. mm. and a landlord uh, activates the space a lot um, in the the event space as well, you know, for markets and whatnot. So yeah, it, it it's good because it's it's not all in our back to do all that. Salem, we do everything. Every single event is ours. We're here. It's like it's more um, community based in the way that it gets it gets done, and we're doing live music in Brighton as well which is something we didn't think we were going to do. And then COVID hit and we lost a couple, you know, venues. And uh, Cody, who's our server, was the um, uh, 
booker at Great Scott. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So we just started talking about live music, and next thing you know, we have a stage in the beer garden that we're activating for live music, and then in the brewery, it's in the tap room itself, we're doing live music in the tap room on Thursday night. So Thursday nights only, but that's our live music night. It's really that's cool. Awesome. It's all, all local, all original live acts. Hmm. Last year, kind of hell froze over. You brewed a pastry stout. <laughs> it was uh, so God damn good. You. Yeah. Listen, wow, I took I my a, notes. I was a long setup. Um, <laughs> why did you brew a pastry so? You, you I, I have. I mean, you did it. I in follow your own you on way, Twitter. I mean, I know right, that you but... specifically talk shit about it, but I mean, we had just been through a year of a pandemic. Yep. And so, you know, just take a look at you know, Salem. Most we didn't, didn't open inside for fourteen months. Yeah. I remember seeing you be employee. Uno. I was the only yeah. Yeah. I was the only employee yeah. for um, three months. Yeah, you went a little grayer. Oh god, a little. <laughs> I have my hair still. Yeah, yeah. I don't like grayer. Um, so uh, the second round of PPP came in, and you know I basically paid people to stay home. Um, we weren't open inside. The beer garden outside wasn't rolling, and so I would brew. Brienne would come down when we canned. She'd do some transfers, and then you know I, I was basically I was basically it, and so. You know, as we started looking towards getting ramping up to the summer, uh, you know, Brianna and I were like, "We got to do something. We got to do something fun. This has been a dry, this has been a real grind, emotionally, physically, the whole deal." And so every year, um, in Salem, uh, again, Polish community, we do the Polish festival, Punchki, uh, which are Polish donuts. Um, they come out around Lent, and we would always joke to be a wonderful pastry stout. And so we just started. You know, spitballing. I was like, what if we came out? What if we said we we're going to come out with that? Everyone thought it was a joke because it was <laughs> April Fool's. Yeah, yeah me too, thing, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to set it up for April 1. And everyone's like, oh, it's a joke because everyone does a stupid joke. And yeah. uh, right, April right. 1, but actually come out with it. Like, actually do it. So we have no idea what we're doing with pastry style. I, we had no idea. Um, so we're friends with um, the people at the Vale in Virginia who are known for pastry style. Yep. And we've been at the beer festivals with them. Um, and so we gave them a buzz and they just gave us the, the pathway. Here's how you make a pastry stout. And we just followed their instructions. But we wanted it to be session because it would be cool. Yep. And then I, I emailed the guy that owns the bakery that does the, the punchki. And he's like, this sounds really weird, but I guess it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so we, we photographed the whole brew day yeah. and, and all that. You put like donuts in it? Yeah. In, in the mash. In the mash, in That's the boil, so the great. whole deal. And then, you know, found out the secret recipe to doing um, the secret sauce for doing pastry stouts. And there's a couple secrets we were given, yep. which are funny as hell. Um, and it came out great. You're going to do then, it again? And then we released it in April 1, and everyone thought it was not going to happen. Yeah. People coming into... Um, it sold out pretty fast. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. It was all can. We didn't, it was, we didn't kick it. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty it was small. Yeah. 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 And then... Um, People coming and picking it up and taking photos, like they actually did it. Yeah, we did one. I had one. Yeah, I was like, so it was but too. it was yeah, done yeah. so well. Like it was clearly in the notch style. It was clean. It was easy drinking. Yeah, it wasn't overly sweet and gross or whatever. You know, it just it was honestly great. Yeah. So you got that was basically gun? that was basically a veil yeah. collaboration that wasn't deemed a veil. <laughs> <laughs> but any plans to do something like that again? Oh, we can never do it again because yeah, we could never pull off the joke. Yeah. It was one and done. We'll never perfect. be able to do it again. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> so one thing I'm glad that you are continuously going to do again is Pitchline Pills. Uh, yes. So you're probably just dismayed your your pocketbook and all that stuff because it probably doesn't make you Yeah, money. we don't make money on it, but yeah. that would, we're going to get into it after these words. Stay okay. tuned. <laughs> after these words. Beer break. Are you a solo artist, band, podcaster, or anyone else who needs recording services? 
Well, we got a place for you where your vision can become a reality. Welcome to Small Pond Studios, built by hand with heart and sweat equity by musicians for musicians. Go to smallpondstudios.io to reach out to get more information. And make sure you let them know that Brute sent you. Hey, Sound Guy Ryan here. Didn't know if you heard, but we're a part of the Hopped Up Network. There you'll find other informative podcasts about beer. So go ahead, follow them on social media, and visit them on their website, hoppedupnetwork.com, to learn more about the people, beer, and breweries from around the country. And until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. So I was at the Notch Tap Room when you originally released your Pitchline Pills on tap, and I think I was there with every brewer in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and <laughs> abroad. Um, and it was I, how many kegs do you have? Like three of those, and they were gone within like ten days. Less- um, so we typically yield, geez, maybe like six or seven kegs. Okay, we because uh, our barrel, the barrels that we use are um, two hundred liters in size, and we only have so many of them. We didn't know if this would work. You know, the first, this is we've done it four times now, and the first time was like after we sourced the, the pitch and the proper beer barrels with thick staves so they could hold carbonation, and we put it in the barrel for three months, then pulled it out, croisoned it, and, and packaged it. Like we have no idea this is going to taste like. We hope it's going to be good, and it was wonderful. Yeah. In one way, it was like great. The other way, it's like a oh, shit. We got to do it again. <laughs> we got to scale up this program. Um, is it hard getting the pitch though, or you? So we have, most we have of it? a. <laughs> This, could be, whole, this yeah. could be uh, a whole separate podcast. I'm yeah. going like, to just kind of make this abbreviated. <laughs> uh, we have we have pitch supply that will last us um, about another year. Um, but the barrels are st- one of the barrels we have is pretty old, starting to t- deteriorate. So when you asked if we could do this podcast, I said it might be in Germany in November. Yep. I'm actually going um, early December if the world's still open, yep. um, <laughs> and to get more barrels. So we have a, I have a contact in Bavaria that makes uh, you know, basically wooden barrels, um, and so we're going to source um, you know, I think about eight. 200 to 400 liter barrels so we can expand the program quite a bit source more pitch uh, and, and scale it so that it makes more sense um, so not to sound dumb or whatever but what is pitch exactly thank you for the question yes so you're welcome pitch, pitch is a, uh, it's a, a cocktail of paraffin and uh, tree resin or pine resin okay that's what I thought it'd be yeah. it's like pine tar pitch. right it's similar to pine tar but that's a, you know, that sounds a little negative I know it's like baseball yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Real quick answer is uh, pitch was used to line wooden vessels previous to stainless steel and metal being okay. used in brewing to protect the beer from wood. Brewers never wanted beer to touch wood. Gotcha. I know there's a lot of ways today we want to do that, but Why? with pills, wood has, an, um, wood has a negative influence. It Correct. has uh, tannins. It has vanilla, things I don't like. Some brewers do. I don't like in pills. But the reason we did it is we wanted to show that the pitch had an influence on the flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does. And it has a, a resiny character that's not unlike a hop. Um, some people say, why do you go through all the effort? It's like, well, because it's fun. We're going it? back in history and yeah. <laughs> discovering things. Again, this could be its own, own podcast, our own show. We're discovering things that every brewer at one point in the United States and the world did that's been lost to history. And it has a lot of fun um, uh, background, but also has a really cool kind of uh, flavor and aroma characteristic that we, we, we really like. So, yeah. so you're using your that's standard. Cool. The standard is yep. what we use, yeah. 
Um, next year's our 12th anniversary, and we may do a different beer within the Pitch Line Pills for that that line. Just to make an anniversary beer. Every brewer will be there. <laughs> it was fun to be there because yeah. you know I gave the presentation, um, and I looked around the room. It was like all brewers. And I was like, this this one of the funnest days I've had uh, in the industry in a long time. And that came two weeks before we all shut down. So I'm glad it happened when it did, and we got a chance to do it. Yep. So now you bottle it. And you've done a couple one-off bottles. You did your half? Yeah, so we're doing some bottles. Um, they're really limited, like not a lot of yeah. cases, but in circumstances where we just don't think the cans are appropriate package. Like, pitch line pills seems like it would be a shame to go into a can. It, seems, it needs to be in a bottle. Yeah. Maybe we're doing half liter, thick walled German um, bottles. Um, and then uh, we're doing half because half needs a high carbonation level um, to really make that beer shine. You can do it in a can, but it's yeah. better if it's in a bottle with high carbonation. Um, and so, you know, some things we go, we'll go through the bottling. Um, I say bottling line. Yeah. It's a forehead <laughs> forehead manual filler. It's really fun to do, I'm sure. Uh, it is. It's yeah. good. I, I, I prefer a bottle. Yeah. I, I always have. Do you find yourself um, in this time right now, there's supply chain shortages, right? We're not going to get into that because I think every brewery and every industry is experiencing that. We're going to make a beer called Supply Chain. Are you? It's never coming out. Yeah. It's going to be delayed. Anyway. <laughs> it's gonna be delayed. I love it. I love it. Um, what? Is that? Be- are you going to see the? Are we going to see the industry shift more to bottles? Do you think because well, of this? I thought that during COVID, I, I was yeah. actually mm-hmm. warning my wholesalers like we're running out of cans. We're, we are on an allotment from Ball, the can manufacturer. Our wholesalers like, no, don't do that. I said, well, maybe our only choice. And then people did move to bottles. Now there's a bottle shortage. Yeah. Like we serve tough. We've actually tuple. noticed that in yeah. the homebrew section. Really? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's happening. Oh, it's happening. Some yeah. of the um, sparkling water we serve at the tap room, we can't get because they can't get the bottles. And these are big companies. You know? Yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it's all over the place. <laughs> uh, your can art has changed during COVID. Mm-hmm. You're using the. It, it, it's like a. Tennessee style, um, is so, that, is Nashville style, like a uh, concert art. We had 15 styles of beer in process yeah. that were supposed to go to draft when yeah. COVID hit, and they all had to go to cans. So we had to quickly move to a can um, label that was different. And we, Maura O'Connor, were used yep. for a lot of that. Um, but those were really quick turnaround, just get it out. And then we're like, we had a lot of time because we knew COVID wasn't going to end anytime soon. So, like, all right, let's make these more in our style. And the Notch branding is all based on Hat Show Print, which is a letterpress printer in Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. which typically does country, country, country western, western yeah. uh, modern-day rock uh, posters. And that's always been our influence. We use that influence in all the can art, you know, moving forward. And there's a way for us just to kind of, like, expand on the brand. So the thing I like about your can art, I think a lot of the times uh, I hate going to the package store now because I don't know what's in the beer. It's, like, maybe it's written ma- somewhere, somewhere in the corner. Very small. Very, yeah, very small. You can't find it. I appreciate that when I buy your beer, uh, it tells you everything you need to know about that beer. Yeah. It's very clear. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been an adherence to a narrow aesthetic with, with uh, can labels, and, and the, a couple got really popular, and everyone was kind of followed. And I walk into a store, and like, I don't know who any of these brewers right? are. I don't know what's in the can. <laughs> and I just walk away. A lot of them I probably want to try, but I'm, I just don't have the time. Yeah. I'm also old. I can't read. I want to get my readers out. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So what we try to do with the cans are um, we try to, uh, one, have fun with the front and the back is like a description of process and, you know, flavor um, yep. in a way that we hadn't done in the past just to differentiate it. And when people read it, they may not know what all the terms are, but then, hey, what's this, you know, what does this mean? They can be informed consumers. Yeah. And then they can do a little bit deeper dive into yeah. it, you know, and they could just ignore it too. <laughs> Non-alcoholic beer. Oh, that's you've, right. Uh, duck your toes into that, I'm guessing. It's something I've always wanted to do, but the technology was too um, prohibitive in terms of its expense or its accessibility. And 
um, in the recent past is becoming more available. Um, you know, I, I like the NA category because, one, I want to drink it. Um, and it makes sense for Notch. We've always had a low alcohol, modest alcohol kind of bent. And so it makes sense for us. Okay. Um, but I, I haven't had a lot that I enjoyed. And so like any brewer wants a challenge and let's see how we can get uh, better NA. And so just before COVID hit, we were working with a, a group out of MIT on some membrane filtration technology and doing tests in the, in, the, in the tap room. And it was working pretty well, but that group basically during COVID just sold to somebody else and that, that pathway got, got denied. But we did find someone else who was doing something, what I think is better. And so we have a technology partner we've been working with um, that does, uh, it's a number of processes to get to the NA that other people aren't doing right now. And so we're in pilot batch right now. We did a pills. New England style IPA comes out in um, mid mid to late December, and then based on those pilots, really going to scale uh, in late late January, early February uh, for NA distribution. And that's something we're going to go all in on. Um, I really I'm, I like the beers. It's something I want to consume. I think our consumer likes it. It's been a very big seller for us at the tap room. That's awesome. We sold some through distribution channel, which did really well, but we sold most of it right over the bar. Yeah. Wow. I was amazed how many NA beers. Went like on tap or just in cans? Can, can yeah. Do you think okay, okay. Uh, people are buying it just because it's new? Like it's like, oh, Hype. This, is, this is... Well, we have a lot of people come in and don't want to drink. Yeah. Like they're here with a group and they don't drink and they get a soda and now they can get an NA. Yeah. Right, and it's, it, or they can take a round off, or they're driving, yep. or you know what. It, it's a good there's a litany of reasons why yeah. you move to an NA. It may not just because you're, you know, you don't drink at all. It's yep. just maybe you want to take a round off. Like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where do you see both locations in five years? Hmm. Where do you see Notch as a brand in five years? <sighs> Post-COVID, it's a really hard question. <laughs> yeah. I've said COVID what 10, 20 times in this yeah. this thing. Um, honestly. I'm just looking through getting to next year. Yep. Uh, as a company, we did okay. We didn't do great. Um, and, you know, we got a hold to dig out of. And I, I'm confident we'll get through it, but we have a couple of long winters. We have a long winter to get through. I don't know mm -hmm. what's going to happen. Yep. Um, and, you know, once we get into early next year, we'll have a better, better sense of how we're going to do and then get back to normal. But beyond that, you know, beyond the, the immediacy of, of, of another dark winter is... Um, uh, we want to expand distribution territory. We want to expand SKUs. Uh, we did a lot of things over COVID that were great in terms of we put a lot of beer in cans we never put before. And yeah. we got consumers exposed to us that never would have been exposed to us. So there's a lot of demand for our lager that we haven't made at scale. And so uh, Salem's going through an expansion over the winter so that we can do more cans direct uh, to our wholesalers and to retailers and on-premise through draft. Are you guys getting a canning line? Or are you still going to go through Ironheart? Not yet. So we'll go through Ironheart. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then, um, yeah, I always say this is the last expansion in Salem, and we keep expanding. You know? So <laughs> who knows? Maybe we take over that whole building someday, and we have a restaurant in the front and in the back. Uh, but so that, that, that's immediate need um, and desire for Salem is to, to maximize our production there. And, and to, um, all the expansion we're doing right now is, is earmarked for cans. Because uh, we, we have a lot of pent-up demand for a lot of the loggers that we do. We just haven't been able to get out. And for Brighton, we're still not fully activated here in that um, a lot of the food stalls and retail shops are coming online this winter. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, so the, next year will be the full first year. But I, I think for us, five years, um, wider distribution um, and a more regular distribution of cans um, and easily more easily available. Yeah. You're thinking like all of New England? For NA, definitely. Yeah. yeah NA, we're gonna we're gonna blast that wherever we can. There's no liquor restrictions. True. You don't have to go to state. Yeah. And sign up a wholesaler. Yeah. You can sell direct That's to awesome. the consumer. That's it's the wild west. It's like wow, <laughs> this is the way the world should be. Yeah. So NA is wide open. We'll have pretty wide distribution cool. on that, and they may that may offer you know, ability for our alcohol you know beers to yeah. 
to piggyback on that. Yeah, so that might be a, a lever. One of the debates I've read online, and shoot me down if this is wrong, there is a place for diacetyl in beer. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a place for phenol, right? There's a. I mean, I've always had this argument with people. The American know. drinker, though, is not accustomed to the diacetyl flavor, though. Well, the American drinker is spoiled. I say that as a joke. I say that as a joke. They're discerning. Um, I, I, you look at Belgium, right? There are flavors in those beers the Germans would like scoff at. Like, yeah. I don't want those phenols in my beer. Like, I don't want those like tart characters. Like, mm-hmm. But those are acceptable because it's Belgium and those are history and that's what that's the design. That's what they did, yeah. And the UK has a bunch of beer that has diacetyl in it, right? And at the right levels, it's wonderful. Diacetyl is one of those things like it. Uh, it's probably like cilantro. Like you either love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. At elevated levels, I hate it. Lower, lower, lower levels. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah. I really am. You got the Czech Republic. <laughs> Here we are, full circle. A lot of their pale lagers have a slight hint of diacetyl. Pilsner Kell is a perfect perfect example of that. You know, it's it's there. Yeah. Um, but people are more sensitive, like cilantro. Yeah. It Definitely. depends on the individual. So I know it's a it's a polarizing you know aroma, but. Um, I don't think it should be something that's like, it shouldn't be in something, right? If it's, you know, if it's the desire and it, it suits the beer well, I'm okay with it. That's difficult for someone who maybe is sensitive to it, right? And hates the flavor. It's like difficult. It's like, yeah. is it a bad beer or is it correct, but they're just sensitive to it? Right. You well, know, it's it's hard. Think of a half, right? Yeah. Hefeweizen, like, do you like banana? Yeah. yeah. Right? Do you like clove? Those things may be very off-putting to people. I have friends True. who love beer and they, they won't even they won't even look at a half because yeah. they hate those characters, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in the ballpark. I have a very, um, my threshold for diacetyl is um, pretty high. I have a blind spot at a certain, a certain level. And so in the brewery, when we do uh, sensory and we do no-go on getting a beer to its next stage of fermentation, we have three people that, because we don't have a lab with you know yeah. high high mm-hmm. degree of uh, precision, uh, we have to rely on sensory for the diacetyl test. And so there's a, there's a lab method to get it to the point where you're going to be able to expose diacetyl. And then we have three people uh, give a give a smell, basic smell you know, smell test, and yeah. go no go. And I, I'll say no, and they'll be like, that's not good enough. I need two other people to say no because I can't smell it at a certain level. So yeah. maybe I have you know, like a, a little more like yeah. warm to right. it because it doesn't hit me over the head like some people. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Notch beers don't have diacetyl. I have not had. The goal or is, it might, the, the, but... The goal is not <laughs> to have it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I check beers and you can argue some of them should have it, but we our goal is not to have any. For the reason you just brought up, the American consumer isn't really in tune with that. I, I, it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. We have to... You know, we can't be so you know, heavy handed that you know, everything must go. It's like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll definitely like take a look at what people want. We, we're a business. So we got to sell beer. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. So we want people to come to, to Brighton. Brighton. Oh my God. I did that on <laughs> purpose. Yeah, did that. Brighton. Brighton. At the Charles River Speedway. To the Charles River yeah. Speedway. Uh, Chris, where are you physically located? I know everyone's going to just type into their GPS notch brewery. Oh, good. Brighton. Yeah, but 525 Western Ave in Brighton. It's yeah, actually it pretty easy drive to get to. Yeah, we, have a park, we have a parking lot, additional parking on the weekends. Um, yeah, it's usually not an issue for parking here. And f- same food menu, and yeah, you don't have the same lineup that you have at, at Salem. So in terms of the beer, the beer menu, 
they're very similar. We'll have one or two that vary uh, back and forth. Some Salem beer will come down here, some Brighton beer will go up there. Uh, but for the most part, they're similar. But like right now, we have uh, a brand new beer called Chernay Special, which is a stronger version of Chernay that's available in Salem, not available in Brighton yet. So sometimes there's some oddities like that. Uh, we don't have food here yet Okay. from, from Notch. Um, we are on, on the beer garden. We're opening a, a stall that will be uh, a food, um, basically food stall that's similar to the food menu we have in Salem. I just have to applaud you for adding pierogies finally. Yeah, it was kind of an obvious yeah. thing. Like, why don't we have <laughs> Yes, they're so good. I yeah, mean. so Jaju pierogi yeah. is yes. what we're using, and Ooh. definitely in Salem it fits, and it's yeah. been a, those have been such a home run. Yep, yeah. definitely. So we try to do European beer snacks. Like, it's, it's something that you may not go there for lunch or dinner, but you go there, you can get a full meal, and it's highly influenced by where our beers come from that kind of feeds on that same theme. Yeah. Definitely. I only know if you guys doing one collaboration, and that was the Trillium and the Cloud Water. Water. Trillium, Cloudwater, uh, Vail. Um, is the Vail one official or is that not it's, it's unofficial. It's unofficial. We actually did another one with them that never came out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we uh, we, we just shelved it. So we got we to reapproach that. And we've had a lot of guest brewers over yep. the years. Um, True from uh, Colorado, uh, Idle Hands locally. Um, ben Howe, who was at Cambridge, who did Enlightenment. Mm. Yep. He now has a brewery uh, out in um, Washington. In the, right? in Washington. Yeah. He's going to come out, and we'll do, we're going to do. That'll be a true collab. Cool. And I'm going to go out there and do it with him as well. Nice. Um, you know, Ben and I geek out about lager, and he yeah. brewed, he brewed in Bomberg for a long time, and um, not for a long time, long enough to learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's too young to be anywhere for a long time. Um, yeah, so we'll probably we're going to do something with him uh, just after the first of the year. So, but, I mean, what do you feel about collaborations? They're hard because I think I think a lot of brewers will agree with this. Is like. Brewers end up doing things they never would do anyways, and so mm. why are you doing them if you wouldn't do it on your own? Right? Yeah. So, they have to be something that we feel good about. That you know, the two two coming together, really doing something that you wouldn't have pushed that envelope. Um, and I think the ones we've done have been have been true to that. You know, and if we don't want to do something, then it's just a guest brew, and they come and do whatever you want. We'll show you how to use the equipment, and then it's yours. Your name's on the board. Yeah. You know, but we haven't been there in a couple of years for obvious reasons. I won't say that word again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Vol project. Any, uh, the Vol project. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I haven't seen a drop in a, recently. So Vol project. Um, we have nothing on the board right now. Once in a while, we'll, we'll come through with an IPA. Um, we have uh, Chernay Special in Salem at 5.8%, which okay, is a so project beer. And then just sneak peek, we're going to do an expanded Stark Beer Fest. Ooh, uh, so Stark Beer, Stark Beer, Strong Beer in Germany. And there's, yep. there's a festival associated to that in March. And typically that was our loggerhead. Yep. Yeah. Um, Doppelbach. Yep. We're going to have a number of Strong Beers this year cool. yes. um, for that festival just to add to that that. Um, that mix and it's been a bunch of beers that I've wanted to take a crack at now with the expansion that we're going to be able to be able to do that so they're all German influenced that's awesome and now I want to talk about this for a second yeah so I love just to simplify it because I don't know the proper terms the hot poker that goes into the beers yep that's awesome. Yeah, so maybe it just caramelizes the beer in a sense. So it's or? interesting. That's what we thought. So it's, so it's a basically a, a steel rod, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's called a loggerhead, um, and sits in a charcoal fire, very high temperature, and then it's submerged into a bock, typically a doppelbock. And we th- had only seen this through video and, and whatnot. It's a yeah. German thing that actually the Midwest does a lot of. Um, Shells um, out of Minnesota uh, does it at their festival, and. Uh, what happens is when that poker goes into the beer, it's a nucleation point, and so carbonation is created. So it never touches the beer itself. It creates carb. It just car- oh, carbonation comes out of okay. the solution. Yeah. The foam hits the hits the rod, and the foam caramelizes into this like marshmallow. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so you drink through this warm marshmallow cap into this cold beer. Oh, it's a cool sensation. It's not yeah. all what we thought it was going to be. It was yeah. a really great discovery. So it doesn't really caramelize the beer at all. The beer stays cold, which is even even better. Yeah. So yeah, we, we do that. and that's It's a, the best. Yeah, it's so much fun. And it really is. I've almost bought myself one because it's just We're so gonna cool. We're going to try it at home? Yeah. I want to see Why not? Yeah. Well, I'll, again, COVID word once again. So during COVID, uh, the, <laughs> uh, that March, everything shut down. We could, we had to cancel Stark Beer Fest. Right. That's right. And yeah. so we canned all of it. And so we had a ton of Instagram stories about people just grabbing the cans and doing it on that. their own. Yeah. That, that was, I watched Bree do it. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm brave enough to do it. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. No, it's, it's, you can't hurt yourself. Yeah. Well, you can. You can. You're, you're, I, I think you can do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've mentioned Bree a couple times. Um, what has it been like since she's departed Notch? That's been tough. I miss her. You know, we, we worked together very closely for four years. Um, and uh, it was really rewarding in terms of what we did and what we created. Um, but and she moved to Portland, Maine for personal reasons. And when she said she was moving to Portland, Maine, she had in her head that she would be able to make the commute. And yeah. She tried that for a while. She did. And yeah. I, Kudos I, to her for that. <laughs> I When she gave me the word she's moving to Portland, Maine, I was like, all right, the clock's ticking here. And it's she lasted, right. I think, for eight or nine months. Yeah. And finally said, hey, I'm going to give you three months. I got to go. And, yeah. you know, it was a good time because based on everything that happened, um, you know, with the Me Too movement and craft beer, it was a mental and physical drain on her. For sure. And she needed a break. Yeah. And I, I was shocked she did what she did for so long. Um, and so she's been focusing um, on those efforts uh, primarily uh, and going back to school as well. So yeah. good mental break, good ability to focus on some really important things. And we still chat and, you know, yeah. back and She forth still shares Notch stuff I see all the time. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, again, I'm going to Germany, and she's going to Czech Republic at the same time. We're trying to figure oh, out nice. where we can meet for one yeah. day somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but she's she, she's always welcome back. I gave her a stitch fast. Stitch fast is a German gravity yep. keg that she can always come back and refill at any time. And I'm sure she'll be back for some special projects here and there. I'm pretty, for sure. pretty certain of that. Yeah, but we miss her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything frustrate you in the craft beer industry right now? Ah. Uh, I don't know. Come on, there's so much. <laughs> I've definitely softened. You know, I think we've all been through so much um, that just coming out of the backside, you know, to have a sustainable business with people that love you is, is the best you can do. You know? mm-hmm. How you get there is like your own, your own, your own way. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have it in me anymore. That's all right. You have a pretty loyal following uh, online, and people know Notch now. You just got recently recognized as one of the top breweries for lagers in the country. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. Um, pretty humbling. It was really humbling. <laughs> um, yeah, I shared that with our staff. So our, we have three brewers um, that yeah, I fairly new with, yeah, yeah. Within, within the last year. Um, so Julie, uh, Anna, and uh, Max, you know, I shared that. And we were all just all smiles. Like, great. So Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, which is pretty well known and recognized, um, we were the, you know, basically anywhere, U.S., Europe, um, you could vote for your, your brewery. It was no right. In, it was a right-in ballot. There was no like ticking of boxes. Yep. And we were number twelve for lager. Yep. And we came last year. We weren't even in the top twenty. Yeah, that's so, huge. Yeah. Really, like over COVID, like you did that over COVID. I think a lot of it was we put beer in cans and yeah. we just we put right. it out in the market. Yeah. People, yeah. If you don't, if otherwise you had to come to Salem, right? And it was right. Really hard. So that was that was definitely definitely humbling. And then you know favorite favorite small brewery. I think we were thirteen. Yeah. And the other thing that happened recently was uh, Mark Dredge, who's a, a British writer, came out with a book, um, you know, best beers of the world, and on a page of Pilsner Kell and Unitischke is is Notch. Yeah. You know, it's three yes. great pale lagers of Pilsner. So that really blew me away. So, yeah, humbling. Um, just happy. And, you know. 
you're getting noticed for the standard. That's been like your OG <laughs> beer. I mean, uh, is that like you're I like, mean, come on, we've been brewing that for 10 years. This is the one I, hour. I mean, I'd be lying to say that's not really rewarding because that was my baby in, in terms mm -hmm. of, um, you know, when Salem opened to be able to really refine that recipe and go right at the beer I've always wanted to brew. Um, and so to, for that to get recognition means a lot to me. Yeah. Is that your Pilsner Rocal? Mm, yeah, if, I'd be lying to say it wasn't a bit of. In the book, it says it's a bit of a love letter to Pilsner Raquel, and yeah, it, it is. It's again not a duplicate. No, it's, it's not a copycat, course. but yeah, it's yeah. definitely. Yeah. It, it definitely is a love letter to Pilsner Raquel. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're gonna drink more beer here at Notch tonight, yeah. and you just have to come here on your way. So uh, we're here now, and that sucks because you're not here. But <laughs> make your way down to Brighton, make your way down to or up to Salem or wherever you go, because honestly, we we hype up this brewery a lot. Um, it's because we love what they're doing. Uh, the service is, is amazing. The beer is amazing. And uh, you never know if you're sitting next to Chris at the brewery, which is pretty cool. Like, you know who the owner is, even if you don't. So he's there. He's present. And uh, I don't think you see that a lot in, in some American breweries. That's a pretty refreshing thing to see. Well, we encourage the staff to, to mingle with, with, with our customers, yeah. you know, brewers and taproom staff, because, you know, that's you part of the feel we want. I mean, that's, you know... It allows us to tell our story and, and get a little more, you know, uh, intimate with our customer and build that bond. Yeah. So we'll have in the link below all of the uh, information for Notch at both locations. Uh, Chris is giving a talk in a couple of weeks um, at the Salem location. Yeah, the Jeff Allworth uh, Beer Bible. Um, That's this Saturday. Oh, it's this Saturday. So, so it's, it's already came and gone. It was but coming on. Yeah. God damn, it was sold out. Yeah. It wonderful. It was crazy. <laughs> um, but, but. Keep an eye out for events that are happening at Notch because they're a lot of fun. And uh, Stark Beer Fest is awesome. Lawyerhead Fest and everything that you do. Uh, I have a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah. so much. We'll be at cool. Fest. We can't wait. <laughs> cool. Ryan, why don't we close this episode out and we'll drink more beer. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.